Welcome to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We are located at 3501 Cheviot Avenue, Cincinnati, Ohio, 45211. It is our mission to worship God and follow Jesus as we love and serve in His name through the power of the Holy Spirit. Come see us sometime at 1030 on a Sunday morning or each Wednesday as we feed the community at 530 p.m. We hope the following message inspires you in some way. This morning we met at 9.30 and we prayed together for one another to start. Can you turn me down just a little bit, Kath? Uh, For one another to start. And then we went and we broke up into groups. That's perfect. We broke up into groups and we walked the neighborhood. Up and down the streets, stopping at different places, praying for the neighborhood. I love that we did that, and I love that that's one of our goals for this year, all in for Christ as a church, for our community, to do that. It's good for people to see people praying. It's good to be seen praying. There's worse things that you can be accused of. I saw you praying. (gasps) That's a good thing for us to do, and I'm glad that we did it today. Thank you for everyone that joined us in that, and I encourage everyone who didn't to join us uh, in the next upcoming time. There was a group here, if walking is hard, there's a group here that just prayed uh, around the church building, and that's beautiful as well. I want to share a couple things that are going on with our church just so we can uh, be on the same page. I want to encourage everyone to read Information Central every week. Rachel does a great job putting that together. There's a a lot of information that's assimilated all in one place there in a really uh, easy-to-look-at format clickable, whatever, uh, you can type things in there, however, whatever all that stuff is, fill-outable, that's a word I think, fill-outable, yeah, and so that, I want to encourage everyone to do that. Uh, Also, uh, thank you all uh, for everyone who participated in the survey that we did, the meeting with the leadership team, that was an important goal that we set for uh, 2023, and if we've not met with you yet, or if you haven't filled out the survey, or for some stroke, I don't even know how, that you haven't received the survey, uh, just let us know. We'll send that to you. We want to spend time with you, talking to you, because what this church thinks, and what this church believes, and what this church is interested in, is important to us. Uh, We want to lead you in Christ, to be closer to Christ, and what you think, and your advice, on how we can best do that as a church, is critical. A couple things that came out in the survey is that we have a we have a very similar understanding about what all in means. All in means all for the Lord. Aaron could not have said it any better today, as he described the Gospel of Luke, that uh, the Gospel of Jesus, wrote, written by Luke, in the Book of Acts. That we do amazing things for the Lord because of the Lord, and so all in that's something that we're striving for. That's a recognizable trait. Also, uh, we have, uh, we've prioritized a list of uh, improvements or changes or adjustments, and we're going to be uh, working through that more, and we'll keep you updated uh, the farther that we go in that. Uh, thank you for sharing especially your prayer requests. Um, that is very um, important for us to know what to pray for, for each other, to be in prayer, 
for each other. Uh, we had one response. All of us should be praying for everybody all of the time. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Absolutely, you nailed it. That's exactly right. We should be. Uh, prayer, we take each other before the, the Lord. And we uh, admit that we need God. We admit that we love God. And we admit that he's bigger than us and he does stuff. And we want to be like him. So thank you for that. want to make sure everyone knows that we're having an Easter egg hunt. It's on uh, April 8th at 10 a.m. It's a great thing to invite your friends and family to. We'll have it out here in Harris Park. The place will be covered uh, with eggs. For the bigger kids, we'll hide them in uh, you know, varying, more difficult uh, places. Uh, it's a great thing to invite your friends to. It's a great thing to invite your family to. Uh, we'll invite the uh, Alphabet Junction Daycare to join us. And it's a great community outreach and just a, an opportunity to celebrate uh, resurrection season together. And then the very next day, April, uh, April 9th, we'll celebrate a resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday here. Uh, this is a really important Christian holiday. Uh, maybe that and Christmas are the most well-attended uh, church weekends of the year. And that's wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. So if you want to invite your friends and family, get your, your Sunday best on, we'll have a, a lot of things going on. The, the kids are going to be doing a lot of stuff. And we'll, we'll be able to celebrate Easter together on April the 9th. Hope you can join us for that. All right, I think I'm good. Father in heaven, we come to you today and ask you to be present uh, as we have and as you are. We're grateful to worship your name. Thank you for being so worthy of worship. You're good. You care. You've shown us your love. You've left us with your Holy Spirit, not abandoned, but filled. You've made us family. We're connected in resurrection. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your son Jesus, uh, the reason, the person in whom we assemble around. Thank you for your holy scriptures that we strive to know and learn, to emulate, to understand, to wrestle with. Help us to always do that in community with each other. If there's anyone here in need, may that need be known. If anyone here needs help, may that be known and help be found. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we begin today, the title of the lesson, Take a Stand, I wanted to say that this, getting this lesson together was very, very hard because... Acts 4, 1 through 22 is absolutely just embedded in the middle of a broader story. It's really hard to just talk about Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, without talking about Acts chapter 3 first. So why don't we do that? Good idea, David. In Acts chapter 3, uh, we see Peter coming to the temple late in the afternoon. It's a 3 o'clock call to prayer. I just want to make it clear that Jesus and his apostles were Jewish. They did Jewish things, and those things didn't stop after the resurrection, after the crucifixion. They continued to be Jewish, because Jesus became their Lord. But they were still seen at the temple. They were still seen 
and Passover meals and, and doing the, the ritual things. So this is just a normal course of the, of the day. Peter and John going to temple for prayer. On the way, they came across a guy, we don't know his name, says he's been lame from birth, and that every day he was put there. That phrase, put there, that touched me. I don't want to just be put anywhere. I want to be interacted with. I want to be cared for. I want to be loved and touched. And, you know, I want to be a part of something. I just don't want to be put somewhere. That was this guy's life. We know later through, through Acts chapter 4 that he was over 40 years old. So this has become an identity thing for him. He's the crippled guy that sits just outside the gates at a place called Beautiful, and he begs. Our story in Acts 4 really starts in Acts 3 when Peter and John come up to this guy and say, look at us. They heal him, and he walks. In a really expressive part of Scripture, he said he was walking and jumping and praising God. And it was an undeniable miracle. And everyone in the temple, the Bible says, isn't that, isn't that, hey, aren't you? It's an undeniable miracle that's done in the presence of God uh, at the temple. The people come up to Peter and John, and they try to start praising Peter and John. And Peter and John won't have any of it. So why are, you, why are you chasing us? Why are you acting like we're a big deal? This was done for God, by God, in the name of Jesus, for his glory. That, that Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, this man was healed. And over and over and over, throughout the entire chapter of Acts chapter 3, the gospel message is shared. Here's some of the themes. And I, I challenge you this week. Read Acts chapter 3. And just underline or write down or bullet point, however you do it, the themes of the gospel that you can find in that chapter. Here are some. Jesus is God's servant. Jesus is holy and righteous. Jesus is the author of life, and he was killed. But God raised Jesus from the dead, and there's witnesses to that. That healing, strength, and restoration come through faith in Jesus and in his name. The prophets foretold that Jesus not only would come, but that he would be a suffering servant. That we're to repent, which means to turn back to God and receive forgiveness. Return, restore, refresh. That God raised up this prophet. He raised up this servant as foretold. And that we're to listen to him and turn from our wickedness. Those are themes of the gospel that I found in Acts chapter 3. So as now we have Acts chapter 3, now we can more fully understand Acts chapter 4. Because the beginning of Acts chapter 4 says, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to, Jesus, or came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed that the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put him in prison until the next day. 
The Sadducees were the biggest deal going religiously and socially in the Jewish society, especially at the temple. We don't hear a ton about the Sadducees because they were primarily, primarily located in Jerusalem at the temple. The Pharisees were much more widely spread throughout Israel, and that's why you read about them in all the different communities that we go to as we read through the Bible. But the Sadducees they were primarily located in Jerusalem at the temple. They controlled what was taught at the temple. They controlled who was allowed in and out. You could see the power that they had. Peter and John were doing something they didn't like, so they came up right to them. They seized them, they took them away, and they put them in prison. They had that type of juice to do that stuff. They had that power at that place. Sadducees, interestingly, weren't too mad that the Romans had occupied Israel, and here's why. Rome kept the peace and allowed the Sadducees to be the bosses of the temple. And so one of the main things that the Sadducees were concerned about in this situation and in many others is the Jewish people getting out of control. Because if the Jewish people got out of control, then Rome would have to step in, and if Rome stepped in, they lost, the Sadducees would lose their power. It's a very, very, very big thing, theme and important to understand. These people were not very interested in anything outside of the Torah. The Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, they call them, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's where they stayed. That's where they made their house. They didn't get outside of that. They didn't really even recognize any of the other holy scriptures. They stayed right there. The Sadducees were the one that you can read about in Mark chapter 12, where Jesus had a dust-up with them about the resurrection. Jesus wisely used the Torah to show them that the resurrection was real. It didn't go, that, that did not go well. They didn't believe in a personal Messiah. So this all talk about Jesus being Messiah, Jesus being resurrected, Jesus being Lord and Savior, it butted head on with things that they hold very, very, very dear. And they were not letting go of that power. They were not letting go of that position. They believed in a messianic age, which they thought they were living in at that time. And they absolutely did not believe in the, the resurrection of the body. And here's something that's just true. It's not flattering, but it's true. It's also common. The Sadducees, like many, used power, position, intimidation, punishments, and threats to control people. That's an old playbook. A really, really old playbook. That's not what we do. This is a very common worldly playbook. Let me, let me keep people in line. Let me get what I want. Let me get my message across. Let me hold this power by being intimidating. By using my authority. By threats and punishments. Maybe you guys played organized sports and you're thinking of a coach right now. That's it. On the line. Punishments. If you do what I say, you're not going to play threats. It's really common how we, how we do these things. But as Christians in Christ, we lead with love. We share. 
We believe in the power of presence. That being present in people's lives lets them know that you care, that you love them. We believe in the power of forgiveness, the power of encouragement, the power of prayer. We believe in teaching and learning, that we're all students. We're all equally in need of a Savior. We've all equally been saved. So it's completely opposite to what the Sadducees believed and what they thought. Do you guys have a, a, a way to remember Sadducees versus Pharisees? The Sadducees were sad. You see? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's what I was taught when I was three. And Bible hour or whatever it was back then. They were sad, you see? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Oh, I got it. All right, so hopefully that wasn't the most boring five minutes of your entire life, but it's really, really important. I think it's so important. We stress this a lot. When you read Scripture, you have to read it how it was written and intended to be read to be able to understand it. And it's richer that way. It's harder, but it's richer. And we want to do this together. Okay. Getting more to the crux of the story today. Peter and John were put in prison where they had to spend the night in order to be questioned. Okay, just listen to this list. I want you to think while I'm reading this list that this is all Peter and John had ever known. They were raised on this. The priests, the captain of the temple guards, the Sadducees came up to Peter while they were speaking to the people and seized them. They put him in jail overnight and the next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other high priest's family. They brought Peter and John before them and questioned them. I want to talk about the courage right now of Peter and John. This is, the, this is the same group that just crucified Jesus 50, 60 days earlier. The same group. This is the same intimidation and power and oppression that they were raised with. And they saw the courage to go into this place and not be silenced. You guys know what I'm talking about here. Maybe in a different context, but you understand. If you were raised in a house with hate, you understand how hard it is to break that hate. If you were raised to discriminate, you know how hard it is to rearrange your thoughts to look like Christ and not discriminate. If you were taught to be unforgiving, to lack mercy, to fight back, it's hard to break that. If you were abused, if you were neglected, it's hard to break that. This is Peter and John showing great courage, going against everything they've experienced, everything they've taught, everything they've known. They knew they were in for it. 
and they went anyway. There's power in that example of courage when you know it's right. Something that Laura and I heard said that, that we say back and forth and we others is in Christ we can do hard things. We can do hard things. Just because it's always been doesn't mean it always has to be. And just because it's been true doesn't mean it is true. And we can be better and do better like Peter and John show us here. Also think of the gut. Peter disowned Jesus. He was afraid to be recognized. He's in this same court when this is going on. This is red flags. This is bells and whistles. This is self-preservation. Get out of here, man. He's fighting that. This is John. He stood with Mary and the other ladies at the foot of Jesus as he was crucified. He identified with Jesus. He was a known suspect. And he goes in there as a wanted criminal. We can do hard things. All right, so as we look through uh, Acts chapter 4 today, I would encourage you guys to read it, and I do this all the time, but think about what you would say if you had this opportunity to speak to a bunch of people that you really liked and loved, and you wanted to share an important message about Jesus Christ, because there is so much here. This is a compelling set of scriptures. This is absolutely motivational. This is at the, the, the infancy of Christianity, and it's really, really well known, and it's just rich with intent and meaning. Today I want to talk about when we face opposition. When we face opposition, it's going to happen. If you choose to confess Christ, if you choose to start being like Christ, if you choose to, to go all in with Jesus Christ, you will face opposition because the message of Christ is counter to what our world teaches and expects. It's not congruous. It's not the same. It's not, they don't line up. And with guts and courage and moxie and grit, you decide you're going to do this in your life, at your address, at your job, with your family, with your kids, with your spouse, with your kids. You're going to do this thing. It's not going to be easy. And you will be asked to do hard things. And you will face opposition, just like Peter and John faced. And so I want to take a couple pages out of their playbook to say, what did Peter and John do in the face of opposition? When they were going into a hostile place, it's crazy to think of church as a hostile place, isn't it? Let's promise each other to not let church be a hostile place. To trust each other. To be kind and loving, willing to communicate, especially when we don't see eye to eye. 
especially when a wrong has been done or an offense or something, something's happened, especially when. I've held on to this phrase, and I think it's just true. When it hurts at church, it hurts worse. Because, boy, I just didn't see it coming. I expect people I work with sometimes to be rude, people I interact with to be unkind, to be selfish. Boy, you just, like, get blindsided at church sometimes. So let's be forgiving. Let's not let church be a place where we hurt. Okay. When Peter and John were facing opposition in Acts chapter 4, they decided to stand with God. And here's what I mean by that. Let's read this, or I'll, I'll read it and you listen. How about that? This is on page 1695, Acts 4, 8 through 10. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of unkindness, sorry, for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom, Je- but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. When we're facing opposition, uh, let's stand with God. This is one of those beautiful times in Scripture when we see the entire Godhead, the Trinity, all three phases, forms, identities of God alive and present in one place. And this is no mistake. Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, went out in the name of Jesus by the power of God. Jesus was raised from the dead. All three phases of God's holy trinity are alive here. And I want to tell us that when we're going to face opposition, let's stand with God knowing that He's standing with us. Now listen, this is different than when you face opposition for being an idiot. Me too. Okay, when we're out there doing dumb things for dumb reasons and you face opposition, this is not what this is. This is when we're out there doing good things for good reasons in the name of Jesus, opposition will come. And know this, that you can do hard things because as you go in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with the power of God who resurrected Jesus, that He is present with you as you are present with Him. As we face opposition, let's always make sure we're standing with God. It's a good thing to ask ourselves and each other, am I about the right things? Is this a God thing or just something that I want? And if we're doing God things, God's with us. I think God's always with us, but especially when we're doing God things. Secondly, I'll say this, when we face opposition, let's stand in the gospel. Let's know what we're talking about. Let's be fluent to tell the story. Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, in many, many, many varying ways, many of which I've mentioned, tell and retell the gospel story. And we need to learn how to tell the gospel story, what we believe and why we believe it. But you need to be able to do it from your perspective. Because then that story is irrefutable. When people hear what God has done for you, how the gospel has impacted you, how the gospel has motivated you, 
It's much, much more compelling than saying, read this scripture, turn to this page. What does this mean? If you can tell them what Jesus means to you and what he's done for you, here we see Peter and John standing in the gospel. Peter says this, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The gospel. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was raised. And there is salvation available. Have you been saved by Jesus? Do you know the Lord? Has it changed you? Has it impacted you? This is our story. Some other ways that we can stand in the gospel, we can see these in uh, Acts chapter 4. Carrying on with our reading. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were, uh, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. The gospel changed Peter and John. It allowed them to do something that they before couldn't do. It gave them the courage to stand up in a very, very scary place for Jesus because of Jesus. I want to say that the gospel needs to change us. So I would ask this, maybe this is a life group question. What impact has the gospel had on your life? How has your direction been changed? Or how has your language been changed? Or how has your attitude been changed? Or how has your spending been changed? Or how, how, how has your free time been changed? How has your parenting been changed? How has your dating and marriage life been changed? How, how have you been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because we are not just meant to receive and stay. It's a lifelong work of Jesus cultivating and growing and weeding and cultivating and growing and loving and changing and challenging and moving forward with the Lord. One way to stand in the gospel is to realize that it changes us. Also that it compels us. Verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is gutsy stuff. Have you felt compelled to do something? 
you have to make that phone call. I have to write that letter. I've got to be there. A friend uh, of ours uh, from college, is uh, he has a very scary uh, diagnosis. He has stage 4 pancreatic cancer. His name's Ray. Ray would love for you to pray for him. Um, Ray is not seeing this as a death sentence, but an opportunity at a second chance. His faith is greater now than it ever has been. His joy is greater now than it ever has been. And he's calling his friends to be near him. So at the end of April, we're going out to Myrtle Beach for a couple days. Just a bunch of us that went to college together, just young men figuring out how to be men together. And we're going to spend time. But in that, I was calling our friend Jason. We call him Fitz. I said, Fitz, i got to tell you about Ray. First of all, how you doing? He goes, forget this. I'm coming to see you. Hangs up, hangs up the phone. It's like, we're not having this conversation over the phone. I'm going to come see you. So he drives from Lafayette to Cincinnati and spends the day with Laura and I. That's the only thing he knew how to do. He was compelled to do that. We weren't going to have this conversation over the phone. He was compelled to come. It's beautiful. Beautiful. What has the gospel compelled you to do? I just gave you a, a relational example. But how about a gospel example? Has the gospel encouraged you to think of time usage differently? To think of money differently? To think of each other differently? The gospel changes us and the gospel compels us. Finally, we see in Peter and John that when they were uh, facing opposition, they stood up for Christ and for people. And I want to read these verses together. Let's start in Matthew chapter 11. These are uh, words that, that Jesus teaches us. Matthew 5, uh, verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's not on any campaign billboards. That's not, like, that's not normally how you get a crowd together. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When facing opposition, we have to realize that we're going to face opposition. A really good thing to do is to be situation, situationally aware. Right? If it's dark and it's rainy and it's whatever, all these other things, slow down. For crying, slow down. Turn your lights on. Turn your flashers on. Turn your wipers on. Slow, just be aware for a second. 75 is not the speed. Be aware. Whenever we go to face opposition, know that you're going to face opposition. And that when we do we're in league with Christ. We're in league with his followers. Listen to how strange this is. Chapter 5, verse 43, more words of Jesus. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and in the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you are not even tax collectors doing that, and if you greet only your own people, 
What are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want us to remember that as we're facing opposition, people, people, human beings, are not our enemy. People are not our enemy. We can't see each other as enemies. We have to see each other as friends. Maybe you really disagree. Maybe you really aren't getting along right now. You maybe have a serious conflict. Let's admit that. But let's not see each other or make each other enemies because we disagree, because we're not getting along, because we don't see eye to eye, or our beliefs aren't uniform. Let's love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. It's the way of Jesus. Secondly, this is really sage advice from an aging pastor to his young mentor, her mentee. In 2 Timothy, this is on page 1852, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Listen how Paul teaches Timothy. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So run away from evil, seek righteousness, peace, love, and do it with each other. Don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments. That can't be right. Well, sure enough. Sure enough. Look at there. Don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must, what? Must not quarrel? But we must be kind to everyone. Kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the traps of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. What a loving, reorienting way to think about arguments, people, conflict resolution, the thing that stuck out to me was there was three things listed there, and I wondered, man, which one, which one do I need to work on the most? And I'll ask you the same question. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Which one of those four things is God asking you to do better? Are you quarrelsome? Are you resentful? Are you right now in your life unable to teach? What was that last one? Are you being unkind? That's how I read Acts chapter 4 this week. I wrestled all week with how to put this together, and it just wouldn't come. And this is what I came up with. 
that when we face opposition, which we will, we need to stand with God. Stand on the gospel and stand up for Christ and for people.